Welcome to the PsychoWise Podcast. We explore how women can expand in pleasure and wisdom spanning all cycles and seasons of womanhood. This is a body-centered approach to living where your body is your personal resource for you to live as the woman you came here to be. I'm Indigo Moon, and if you want to turn on your cyclic woman and wisdom, if you want to become untamed and awake to your own power, then join me as we dive into all areas of embodied, soulful living. Hello, beautiful. I am finally back with a new episode of PsychoWise. These PsychoWise conversations are dropping like slow (laughs) dripping honey. The episodes are not coming out as fast as I would like, but each drop really feels filled with the nourishing nectar and women's wisdom that is my intention for this podcast. And today is no exception. I'm speaking with Kelsey Ludwigson, a postpartum visionary sharing her journey from maiden to mother with her firstborn daughter. And this was recorded quite a while ago. I've unfortunately not been able to get to it until now. So both Kelsey and I are a lot further in our postpartum journey than we were at the timing of this recording. And actually, Kelsey is very pregnant with her baby number two. But honestly, the timing doesn't matter. Hearing postpartum journeys like the kind Kelsey shares today is a timeless story. These are part of the psychic stories we are meant to hear from each other. Postpartum stories are not just for mothers-to-be, although as Kelsey and I speak about today, it's vital to witness and hear these stories before you walk the journey into motherhood yourself if that's on your path. But it feels important to really speak to the fact that this goes beyond the physicality of motherhood and into what it really means to heal the subconscious, cultural, and lineage line stories that shape and shrink us as women. At its core, it really becomes more about what it means to rise from maiden into the mature, ripened woman at home in herself. So I'll leave you with that and let's invite Kelsey in. Today I'm joined by Kelsey Ludwigsen, who says motherhood changed everything for her. The birth of her daughter one year ago sparked her to embark on a journey to unravel and learn what taking care of ourselves truly looks like within our reality of motherhood. Kelsey is a yoga teacher and leads yoga retreats internationally and has online courses focusing on creating space for mothers to reclaim their transition to motherhood. She also works with pregnant women who are preparing their postpartum period and with women who wish to process birth trauma. Thank you so much for joining me, Kelsey. Thank you. (laughs) It's so nice to hear an introduction from someone else. I've been wrapping my head around how to speak about my work and you did it so beautifully. So thank you. (laughs) (laughs) My pleasure. I would love to actually 
start in a place where we maybe look back a little bit on the journey you've made. So you've journeyed through your postpartum year, the first postpartum year, mm-hmm. and you're a yoga teacher that had, I'm imagining, some experience in working with your body, doing mm-hmm. self-care practices. Mm-hmm. And I also know that you prepared a little bit for postpartum because you bought a Yoni steam chair from me. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I'm imagining that was part of it. And I guess I'm wondering, there was the journey leading up to it. And then what, in what ways did the actual early motherhood and postpartum experience feel different than you might have expected? And was that part of awakening this desire to work with postpartum now? Yeah, I actually, I did my uh, postpartum training with Rochelle in in Innate Traditions before I even got pregnant. I wasn't even thinking of having a baby, but I just, I just felt really called to work with postpartum women and just be with pregnant women. And then actually during the course, it was a six or seven month training. I actually did get pregnant and, um, (laughs) yeah, it was, it was a, it was a surprise. I mean, it was, we were, um, ready to have a baby, but we also thought it would take longer and, um, it didn't. (laughs) Um, but it was really in that first trimester that I was hit with, um, I love to say that, uh, the first trimester can almost mirror, um, the fourth trimester mm-hmm. because for me it was my first experience in having to really ask for help I by uh, week six I had horrible it's not even it shouldn't be called morning sickness it was all day sickness that's <laughs> true I, it is a little I, misleading <laughs> I'm like, who came up with that term it must have been a man <laughs> um, yeah and um, I was so sick and at the time we were living in Singapore and I couldn't even leave the apartment because of the heat and the smell and the scents from all the food outdoors. And so I was I was locked inside of our apartment for weeks on end. And it, I mean, it was so debilitating. And I, I called my parents and said, I have to come home and be in Norway for the winter. And my husband came afterwards and we moved to Denmark after the, a month after that. And it was in that time being in Denmark, we had no friends. We had just moved to Denmark. I had no friends, no family. Mm. And I was throwing up all the time. And I had to, I couldn't go into a grocery store. I couldn't cook for myself. So my husband had to, I mean, I, I, my husband and I have always considered each other like very independent. We have a loving relationship, but also, also we're very independent. And this is the first time in my life that I was like, okay. I need help. You need to grocery shop and cook and really take care of me. And it was really, really hard because I couldn't work. Um, I couldn't go out and make friends. Um, I couldn't uh, do all the things that I love to do. So the way that I took care of myself as a yoga teacher by getting body work and doing yoga and all of my self-care practices of journaling and writing, I couldn't read even during that first trimester. It was hard for me to take in information. Actually, I couldn't listen to podcasts, Mm. um, or listen to audiobooks. I had a hard time processing information even. And so all the things that I went to for self-care and for things that tended and took care of my body didn't work in my first trimester pregnancy. Yeah. And that was a really, really big wake up, a painful wake up call for me, because that was a moment that I woke up and said, all right, 
all the tools that have helped me the last eight years are no longer helping me. And I now need to realize that self-care evolves and changes as we grow. And it changes and evolves as we go through different stages and transitions in our life. Yeah. And so I really had to kind of figure out, all right, what, what will what will make me feel good in this first trimester? And then each trimester proved to be something different. And I think that helped me when I got into my postpartum of just not shaming myself for not, you know, biking as much, you know, and not, I, I, I didn't sit on a bike until, you know, six months postpartum, but you I know, haven't biked yet, so I know, I know, God, but so, I also don't have a baby seat. So that's part of it. <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, this time it was just so liberating to get on a bike and like bike to a grocery store, you know, by myself. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, um, but it was really just like, I think that helped me prepare for the fourth trimester and that I, um, didn't shame myself that I couldn't do all the things that I could. I had, I had to make a new set. And so that's where that training came in and helped me that, mm. all right, there's Yoni steaming. There are, you know, um, doing Nidra instead of a physical asana practice. Um, you know, and I couldn't hold, I, my, my daughter slept on my chest. All her naps had to be skin to skin and on my chest for the first four months. And I couldn't hold a book at the same time. So I thought, okay, well, how else can I, and I didn't, um, feel like watching TV around her. So I, I listened to a lot of audible books and, um, got into some online courses so I could listen to that. So there was just different ways that I needed to fill up my cup. I, I found very quickly. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's kind of what set me on my stage of just realizing. And then also just all the things that I had been called to before motherhood, all of a sudden didn't resonate or ring true in motherhood. And so I really had to, um, find, find new people and find new practices. So is that in terms of feeling a type of identity shift or viewing the world differently that those things also just didn't feel the same for you? Oh yeah. Identity shift. That's such a big one for me because I completely lost myself Mm. in, in postpartum, completely lost myself. And, uh, questioned every single day, not only my mothering skills, but also what am I doing with my life? Like, you know, what is, what am I going to do after I I questioned a lot? What am I going to do after I'm done with my maternity leave? Because what I did before I, um, I owned a yoga studio in Norway and I had sold that when I came to Denmark. And, um, I was at the time when I was pregnant, still kind of working, um, doing more consulting for, uh, teachers and yoga teachers that wanted to open up yoga studios. So I was, I was assisting them and I didn't feel called to it anymore. It just, Mm -hmm. it, I just thought, wait, there are bigger things to do in life. I need to help. I need to be with other mothers and I need Mm -hmm. to help other mothers. And even though I did that postpartum training, there was one key component in the postpartum training. She talked so much about, and that was support. Yeah. And I thought, Oh, I have my husband. I'm okay. And I think that was the biggest thing that was because I had, I had, I did all the things, all the practices for my postpartum. And I think if I hadn't have had that, it would have been a much more traumatic experience for me. Yeah. But because 
yeah, we didn't have family or close friends or anything here. And I think that's what, I mean, I, I, um, I went into deep, deep, I wouldn't say depression, but anxiety, I had severe anxiety Mm -hmm. um, and a complete loss of direction in life and who I was in that moment and what I was doing. And I questioned a lot, a lot during that time. Mm -hmm. Do you feel that that journey of feeling like you lost yourself and that element of identity shift, do you feel that was part of your energy of postpartum initiation, if you will? Or do you feel that was also exasperated by the fact that we journey through postpartum in a world that is, mm, I don't know, not so postpartum friendly, not build up to support that transition from the outside in. So it becomes a very personal sort of on our own shoulders to support that, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I think both. But I would definitely say our society isn't set up for the postpartum woman. I mean, I remember the first few weeks afterwards, I was just crying and crying to my sunetsplayer, my sister that we call it in Norwegian, the health nurse that comes. And I said, all I want, isn't there like a grandmother that I could adopt or could adopt me? I, I need a woman that is older and has gone through this just to tell me that what I'm going through is normal. Because all my friends that had babies were doing it in the privacy of their homes before I had a child. You know, I would see them on their good days. I you rarely see your friends on bad days because we're hiding, you know, or we're just, it's just, it's hard to get out of the house. And so my experience when I came into postpartum was really, really painful because I thought, well, I haven't seen any of my friends and my mother never spoke of this being this difficult. And I, my sister-in-law has never spoke of this being difficult or, or like this. Mm. Um, so you felt really alone with actually experiencing the difficulties that I would say probably every mother encounter in yes. some shape or form, because it's individual yeah. to each of us, how we journey through mm-hmm. it. Yeah, I, and exactly. And I think I may have had a, um, I don't want to say easier, but more, maybe more of an aware initiation into, Um, postpartum if I had witnessed it more and I think that's what it was hundreds of years ago we lived with you know our our bigger and immediate family so we saw our sisters go through the postpartum and we saw our mothers and our grandmothers could tell us about it Um, and so I really craved that in the beginning I I told my the health nurse that came I said is there an app or like a Facebook group of of grandmothers who who would maybe want to adopt me because I just said I they've got to have the answers for me because I, I I just feel like no one's told me or warned me about this yeah but you know it makes me think what a beautiful desire that is for calling out that like real community and mm. and mm. like-hearted people to hold you through that and then at the same time I also think I'm not sure there would be many there to hold you actually grandmothers Because we are generations in at this point of not only birth trauma, but also postpartum trauma, many types of women's trauma and women's wisdom is no longer embodied in the same way. So we grow old, but we don't necessarily grow wise. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. That's beautifully said. Yeah, I think the 
how to hold space for women in our families. I think that's uh, a lost language for a lot of women. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, because I think that's one of the curious things when we talk about postpartum because it does seem more widely known now that support is necessary Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's not a luxury for postpartum it is necessary and it looks different for all of us what truly it means to support postpartum but then there's the other side of that we most of us many of us at least live in sort of more isolated situations right and even the community we have are they really sort of a type of community that has it already in their blood in their bones how to support each other in that more intimate way that postpartum calls for so what does it really look like to support postpartum and call that in in the world as it is now because it feels like almost a little hard to integrate. What are your yeah. thoughts on that? Yeah, I think there were so many, I think there's so many well-intentioned women. I think, you know, I get so many um, friends and that message me and say, oh, I have a, a friend that's about to give have a baby. I know now I'm not going to give her baby clothes. I'm going to give her a postpartum massage, like gift card. Yeah. You know, and so there's that conversation that's starting to happen. And I think there's a lot of well-intentioned women out there that want to support their friends. But, you know, I think we're, there's still so much conversation around the baby, which there, of course, can be. But there's very little conversation around, yeah, the mother and um, what is it that she needs and what is it that... Um, she's grieving. I think that was a big thing for me in the postpartum was that I was um, grieving. I was grieving my my life before motherhood. And I tried to tell that to some of my girlfriends that would come and sit with me or bring me food. And they would say, but at at least look at your baby. She's beautiful. Or at least you're, you're healthy. And, Mm. um, and I know that I, I think what it is is that we don't know how to hold space for women and their hard and heavy feelings and emotions. Yeah, grief is a hard one for most people to really take in and just let it simmer. Yeah, and and grief isn't uh, supposed to maybe be put in the same sentence as having a baby, you know? I yeah. think a, a lot of people think that they don't belong together. Um, people get really uncomfortable if I post something about, you know, having when I was when my daughter was young, if I posted something on Instagram of having a really difficult day, a hard day, so many of my messages come back and say, well, at least tomorrow could be better, you know. And so I think it's just hard for people to imagine that we're not more grateful or. Yeah, I think that the conversation really needs to be uh, how can we listen better and uh, hold space for the mothers so that they can share the uncomfortable, you know, thoughts and emotions that are coming up. Yeah. So that also comes into a place where, you know, there's a lot of, I think there's a saying, we birth how we live, which I do think is quite true. And since um, the birth of my son, I've also thought, well, we very much postpartum how we live too, mm. in the sense that for me, I was already doing a lot of the practices that are 
traditionally postpartum care in my daily life anyway, and I've done them for so many years, that those were the practices that were easy to continue because they were normal in my life. Mm-hmm. Adding new practices is pretty tricky at that stage, I would say, yeah. for most people. Yeah. And that's just the practices. I think it also comes into, you know, the type of conversations we have with our friends, with our family, need to be supporting the whole human. And that's how they they go on to also support the whole human new mother. And if they're not there, postpartum really comes to reveal where our life is empty of true human connection and support in different ways yeah yeah I think I think postpartum is it shows us where we um still need to heal or what still needs to heal in our life um for me what came up really strongly was um my mother wound um how yeah just my support network um, the, and what really, what I was, I kept being told before giving birth was, oh, this is going to be really hard on your relationship with your partner. And th- it wasn't because that, I guess that is where my husband, my partner and I, um, we weren't having any, you know, there, there wasn't any, the holes, if you want to say that. But so I think it really postpartum is like a catalyst and a really quick way for us to meet our shadow sides that we've maybe avoided or, or, you know, kind of put a bandaid over for the last few, for decades. Absolutely. So you went from feeling like you'd lost yourself in the early days of motherhood and that the practices you had previously done weren't sort of truly supporting you as a new mother and then went on a journey to kind of refine and gather practices that did feel like true mother self-care. Can you share more about sort of what was that like for you to, I'm imagining there's a bit of a kind of stop in your tracks and being like, what do I do? Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I had to go in, um, uh, I'd had a training planned for two years and, um, it was when my daughter was four months and it was going to be in India. And I remember leading up to India, I was so stressed. I just thought I can barely read a book. How am I going to teach a training for a week in India with a four month old? And I went there and, um, it went really, it went fine. It was, I did the best I could with the, the, the brain fog or a matoke I had, but I had, I, what I did do was I treated myself to body work, like Ayurvedic massage, Ibanga. And every single day. And I came home, my body, I came home a new, a new woman. Um, and that was a, because I'd been in community with other women. They were all holding my babies, my, my, my babies, my baby. Um, <laughs> they were, I was being held by, you know, the body workers so that my body was taken care of it and I was being nourished. And I realized, okay, this is, this is what I need. I need community. I need to take care of my body again. Um, and I need to be fully nourished because before going to India, I was living off of toast and jam, you know, it was what I could, what I could do. And I, I came back and I thought, all right, meal, you know, it was a whole new, my, my self-care from naps and, you know, journaling turned to like really the basics, the foundation of like, am I nourished? Um, am I among other women? And I got very, uh, 
I don't want to use the word serious, but I did get quite serious about like, all right, who, who is, who are my community of women? Am I going out and seeing people? Um, so that once I got my foundation in of being, feeling well-fed, going and getting body work, finally, I went and saw a physical therapist and went and saw osteopaths and all that. As I had my foundation, that's when I started to feel, okay, now I can add in the yoni steam. I actually now feel like I have the capacity to sit down and journal for an Mm. hour. Um, But it was only because I had the foundation down. And that took, you know, a month or two for me to start feeling that. But it was only after that, that I felt like I could start adding um, other practices back into my life. And so it was very gradual. Um, But it was from there when I started adding in those tiny additional practices that I felt a huge shift in my um, my emotional capacity to, to to be able to handle the range of emotions that you go through in a day as a mother. Yeah. I was able to have more of um, yeah a a bigger capacity. You know, I, the the things that were would trigger me a month earlier weren't as triggering anymore. Um, and so I started to notice a huge difference in what I was able to handle. And it was because I was also, and I, and, you know, and also I came back from India and I told my husband, I need, I need a boundary 30 minutes minimum a day for just me, you know, mm-hmm. because it was a point where he would come home from work and then we'd be making dinner, put and it just, and then we'd be together. And I was like, I need 30 minutes to myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was, it was a slow progression, but it was really a matter of, I mean, if we, I don't talk so much about the, the chakras, but you know, if you, the root chakra, if you don't, uh, have a good stable root chakra, you can't, um, integrate or go into the other chakras, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And there's like a huge piece to what you're sharing in terms of body work, body nourishment. Mm-hmm. Cause I think we often forget when we go through big experiences that, we need to support the body to digest life. Yes. We don't digest life through our minds. We digest it through our bodies. And that's also part of why body work, body nourishment, tending to the body of the new mother is a part of every postpartum tradition there is across the whole world. It looks slightly different for sure, but there is a tending to the body And it is absolutely huge what that piece does when we tend to the body in terms of how we then see ourselves, feel ourselves. And it is often that missing piece in order to actually orient back home and know what the next step is. There needs to be a pause. There needs to be a place to digest enough to actually know what do I need from here is it those extra new 30 minutes? Is it like, what is it that I need? Because it will be individual, but having that body support is just so huge. Yep. Yep. I, um, during my pregnancy, I I did not want, especially the first trimester. I was, I was sick till about week 20, Mm. but I did not want to be in my body. I did not practice yoga. I didn't want to just feeling my body made me feel more nauseous. And then and I kind of just felt disembodied. I was very, I loved being pregnant. Um, I loved that. And I was very aware of my body, but it wasn't until I really, like if I was to describe my pregnancy, it was like a very floaty experience. But once birth and labor started, boom, I was, I felt my, like my fingernails. I mean, I felt everything in my body. And then it was after birth that you just all of a sudden everything, I mean, you just, 
I all of a sudden was in my body, but I was also disembodied and I was very disorientated. And so it took months and and I just remember being in the shower multiple times, like having to squeeze my arm and be like, okay, I have arms, I have arms, but wow, they hurt, you know? Yeah. Um, so just being like trying to separate from the pain and the aches and just saying, okay, well, what, what does my body need right now? It was, it was a lot of that in the first four months. I mean, you've got a, oh, emotions and a lot of hormonal um, things are shifting, but the body is something that it makes you very present. Like yeah. I wasn't thinking so much about the past or the future. I was, it was a very now experience, actually the postpartum, um, tending to a newborn, but also tending to this, this, this new body. Yeah. 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 There's so much to take in. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It reminds me of, um, a quote of yours. You've very beautifully said that we arrive to the altar of postpartum with what we've carried from the altar of birth. Mm -hmm. How did your birth journey impact your postpartum journey? Yeah, I uh, had to do a lot of work before giving birth. On I had no stor positive stories from my family, um, of the women in my family. I asked on both sides, and no one had a positive experience for me. Um, so I had to do a lot of searching to really believe in myself that I could give birth, um, you know, as uh, free as I could. Yeah. And, um, and so I had a, a really actually a wonderful birth when I didn't know what to expect, but there was during my entire labor, there was, I was in um, a birthing clinic actually, um, in Vestibule. I was in the birthing tub and there was a clock on the wall and I could see that. And I told my husband days before I was going to go into labor, I said, I don't tell me the time at all during birth. I don't want to know what time it is. I want to just be in the moment. And I still to this day think, why didn't I ask the midwife to take that clock down? Because I was very aware of the time. And I was very, I would, I kept going back into my mind. I would leave my body, go into my mind. And I would say, my friends gave birth quicker than this. And I kept going back to that. And there was this, this, this thought that like, I wasn't giving birth quick enough. Mm. and it was taking too long and it was this whole thing of time and my midwife kept saying my goodness you're you know don't worry about it you're doing so fine so fine and so what that brought to my postpartum was a huge thing of of impatience and that time was ticking so slowly um I really felt like it was just like pulling teeth some days it was it became this thing of um I was just so aware of the time all the time during my, those first four months. Um, and so that's something that I've worked a lot with kind of unraveling, um, for my postpartum and also that, that one moment in my birth and just really working on getting lost without knowing what time it is. Yeah. 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 What a huge piece that is. Yeah. I had to do a lot of that with my daughter. I would just put my phone away and just lose ourselves in the day, you know, and not, not have, a crazy amount of things scheduled, you know, then you're, then you're scheduled to a certain time, but just say, okay, this is, we'll do this today whenever it works, you know? And, and that was a really beautiful healing part for me to do things on our own, on her own time schedule. Really. It wasn't mine. My time wasn't my time anymore. <laughs> I think that's really what I learned in the postpartum was it was no longer my time. It was hers. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Mm. And you sit with women through birth story sessions, listening to 
just their birth story, maybe for some women, birth trauma. Um, so I'm wondering, I guess in that intersection, you've done, you've seen the necessity of weeding out the stories we take with us into birth before you gave birth yourself to your daughter. Yeah. And you've also seen the importance of then digesting and sitting with then the birth story itself. Yeah. And I guess I'm just curious from sitting in that place of both your own journey and also hearing what happens to a woman when she gets to share her story, digest it. What do you feel is so huge about telling our birth story and in what ways do you feel it's important? Well, I think what we bring to our, our birth and our postpartum are the unhealed parts of ourselves. And those are the ones that are kind of cracked open. So I think with sitting down, not only with my own stories, but with other women's stories is that we're not just healing a part of if there was a trauma or a, I like to say kind of like the, a missing puzzle piece, you know, you're kind of trying to put the puzzle piece of the birth story together and there's just one piece missing of finding that piece actually is a missing piece in a lot of areas in our lives that show up in relationships with um, friends and family and loved ones and are uh, repeating patterns in our lives that are actually just repeated on a very large scale during birth and postpartum. Um, and so that's been one of the biggest, biggest healing things, I think, for myself and also the women I've been sitting with is just seeing that this wasn't a one-time occurrence. This has been something that happens and is retold, retold in many different ways in many different stories of my life. Um, and then becoming aware of that. And I think once we become aware of that, it's no longer a repeated pattern, hopefully. Once we truly become aware of it, we don't need to repeat it again and again. And I think that is one of the most beautiful thing we can do for as, as mothers and as women because, you know, there's that, that saying of you heal something in yourself, you heal seven generations past and seven generations forward. And so you're healing something in your own child by doing the healing work on yourself. Oh, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it just brings me back to that understanding again that we birth how we live. And then when we actually really do the work of digesting these cyclic initiations that happen in our womanly landscape, that that's when we actually get to digest and integrate what is available to us through these journeys. And without doing that, they they sit there largely unintegrated and largely not used for the, the bigness of what they offer us. It's such potent medicine, what comes up. And, and it's this medicine that um, can be used as a really beautiful healing tool in our lives. And what I'm really finding is a lot of women aren't telling these stories. And so they're not using the potential healing experience that they could have in themselves and onto their families and children. Um, some of the women I've seen recently, um, you know, have these uh, traumatic experiences or just kind of an unresolved moment and they're told immediately after birth, whether it's by a midwife or a doctor or a nurse or a family member, oh, but at least you're healthy. 
Mm. Okay. But, but oh, it um, aches in yeah, my heart to see yeah, that. And, yeah, and so when they're told that they're it it's that it's that first shutdown. Yeah. And then if they're told that twenty times in their first month postpartum, they're not gonna use what came up to help evolve them. I mean, I think that's that's what we're doing as as we become mothers. We're up leveling ourselves somehow, you know? We're upgrading ourselves. You know, our phone always needs to do that. I think this motherhood is one of the biggest ones. Yeah, I feel that. Mm-hmm. It makes me think as well about how the way we digest our birth experience is also partly and probably to quite a large extent dictated by the stories we already have about birth. I'm thinking here about how our birth culture at this point is so warped. Oh yeah, It is so separated from true physiology of birth Mm -hmm. and what unhindered birth actually looks like and entails in different ways for different women. And so, because that feeling of it should have gone faster, right? Mm -hmm. That's a... (laughs) That's a great example of that. Mm -hmm. I had a very, very long birth, four and a half days, and I actually didn't feel in the that it should be going faster for some reason. But what I did feel after that now, like when I have shared my birth journey, then sometimes one of the first questions is, "Why did you think it take took so long?" Mm -hmm. And it's always like, "It did." Like you know that kind of. Uh, understanding that we pathologize so many things about birth and the length of time is one way we pathologize birth just off the bat without there being any indication right that there is anything wrong and if I didn't have a really thorough understanding of the variety of birth already and having like worked with the cycles in so many different ways, my way of interpreting my birth journey would be very different. And for most women, they don't have that. I sit from a very different place because I've worked with women's wisdom for so many years and it changes things. You get a different sort of, you narrate the experience very differently and yeah, I just, I think about the women that then get to digest their experience within the context of like, well, should this have happened? Was this okay? Or, and the midwife said this was fine, but inside I felt it wasn't fine. You know, all these things, like there's so many layers to it. Mm -hmm. And I think if I had really, really gone back into my body, um, I knew that it was taking the time that it needed to. But yeah, that's the first thing I feel like when after you've given birth, someone asks, how long did it take? <laughs> you know, um, it's, you know, rather than, I mean, I feel like that that's always the first question. And then it's almost this, um, you know, I, I joined a, a, a Danish mother's group and that was a huge topic, how long everyone's birth was. And it was almost like a badge of honor for either the quickest one or the longest one. Right. <laughs> and it's, yeah, it's really fascinating. It's, it, I find it really fascinating that I, with all the work that I did do, that I got so hung up on that, that on that, um, yeah, on, on time and that it should have been, it should have been quicker. I mean, it, from first, first contraction to, till she was out, it was 27 hours. It's, that's not long. 
It's not. No, it's not. (laughs) And also it's like it doesn't matter in the sense of like you're as long as your birth is flowing and you have a sense that your baby is good. That's a that's a great birth journey, you know? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But it is. I mean, I think for me, I didn't get hung up on the length. But one thing from having been so much in um, birth work Mm. one sentence that got stuck in my head was this quote that has often been said which is exhaustion is the enemy of birth Mm. and it just got into my mind because obviously Uh, you know three days in without sleep without food it's not that I wasn't tired (laughs) but I was also fine and my baby was fine but I got I was really challenged by the fact that somewhere out there in the world that was this idea that I could get too exhausted to give birth. And that is the journey for some women, but it wasn't my true reality because I ended up getting to the point where I was like, what? (laughs) I can't get too tired. I can give birth for six days (laughs) if I need to, you know, like, but it was in my head for a long time until I really dismantled that. Mm -hmm. So it just shows that even when we do all the work of diving into birth energy and birth work and women's wisdom with all its layers and cyclic wisdom, we are also in the soup of the culture that we live in. Yeah. And we're not separate from that. Yeah. And I think that's what birth and postpartum also just kind of highlight is all the unconscious, like limiting I don't want to say, yeah, beliefs or, or unconscious thoughts that we don't speak out loudly because we don't believe it, but it's ingrained in us somehow. And you think, well, where on earth did I pick up that? And I think that's been a lot in, in my postpartum was some of the things that were coming up that I was saying or, or doing. And, and I had to sit back and think, where on earth did I pick that up? Who did I hear that from? Like, where is that language? That's not my language. Whose language is that? And so really just kind of untangling and disconnecting from uh, that voice that really, I think that that's the hardest thing in postpartum is finding your voice and separating it from this other voice that you know isn't yours, but somehow you're plugged into. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. In terms of your journey and the, what you've traversed through your, your year postpartum now, Mm. um, if you look back, was there something you would have done differently? Is there some things that you feel like I really want to integrate this more next time if there is a next time? Like what are the pieces that you're sitting with on the other side? Yeah, one that my partner and I both agree on is uh, asking one of our mothers to come down and 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 be with us. Um, just to, we we would need that extra support. Um, my teacher, Rochelle says this, that in the womb, the baby is surrounded by two layers of the amniotic sac. And if one ruptures, it has the other one while the other one rebuilds itself. And so after we're born, we need those two layers of support still. And so the baby has hopefully, um, two caregivers, um, and, but also who does the mother and the father have? They need two that are hopefully not one of them isn't each other. Yeah, And so that is a huge one for me is what I've learned and what I would do different is having 
more support. And whether that is asking a family member of ours to come down and support us. And also I think asking my husband to take more time off in the beginning, it was quite a shock to be alone at two weeks. Um, Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think that's what, and he was traveling as well. So um, I would be home alone all day and at night and didn't, I had had my mother's group, you know, I'd see women once a week, but otherwise I wasn't seeing people. Uh, So that was really, really hard. Um, and something else I would do differently is set my boundary earlier of 30 minutes a day Yeah. so that I could steam, so that I could uh, take a nidra or I could go outside and walk by myself for 30 minutes. Um, I wish I'd set that earlier, but yeah. Yeah, that's huge. Yeah. Having that time to digest what's yeah. happening. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And just to process the day. Uh, I mean, my, my dreams were just wild during the postpartum because I wasn't giving myself any time of rest or reflection during the day to process. So my, my, in my dream time I was processing and it was just, I felt like I would wake up and I didn't have any rest because my dreams were so active. Mm. It was trying to filter out everything that I was hormonally and emotionally going through during the day. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's huge. You know, I've actually really been thinking a lot about postpartum and how much women are alone. Mm -hmm. Because I feel like growing up in Denmark, you kind of get to understanding how, and it is true, it is a blessing that we're really blessed to have maternity leave available for a long time. Mm -hmm. Um, Most of that first year of the child's life for most people. And some of that can be paternity leave as well. Mm. So for myself, my husband and I are both home, but we both work from home. So it's not like we're on leave. So it's a different scenario. But it's made me reflect on even though we're busy and have to do things and there's not that spacious time of being on a maternity or paternity leave, then there's still someone there if I really need to go to the toilet Mm -hmm. or he really needs to do something, right? Mm -hmm. And it makes a huge difference. It's not like we are in a situation where we're two people available all the time, but I'm just talking those crunch moments that happen sometimes where you really need some food, otherwise you're going to like pass out or you really need to step away and gather yourself because you're at a point where you're no longer really able to give your baby what you really want. And those sort of 10, 15 minutes of stepping away can actually reset you and you come back and you are the mother you want to be. And that's just not a reality when you're on your own on maternity leave. Yeah. So I've started thinking really differently about the fact that so many women are on their own with their babies. It feels really heavy to me now. Yeah, it feels really heavy. And that's where I have to say I was, um, and you know, I might be controversial in saying it, but uh, rather grateful for covid when it came in March and shutting down because all of a sudden my husband was home. And even though I couldn't go see friends, um, I had that extra support if I um, needed that step. I mean, he was constantly checking in and it was that, that, you know, and most of the time I was like, no, no, we're fine. But it was that knowing that I have someone checking in on me. I'm not by myself. I'm not, I, I, I have that limiting belief of abandonment 
And that came up strongly for me in postpartum because I really did feel alone, but I wasn't abandoned, but I just, that's what was coming up for me. And so with COVID, I mean, I had all of a sudden that support all, you know, not, he worked, you know, more than he would usually because he was at home and had no boundaries between (laughs) work life and life, but still it was, and I, and I wonder how that was for other mothers. I know a lot of mothers felt lonely because they couldn't go out and interact, but there's, I, you know, this is a side note, but just how COVID has impacted family life because during COVID, I would see families walking together outside. Mm. I never saw, I thought, oh my goodness, I've never seen that they had children before, you know? So it's going to be really interesting to see just how it has impacted family life and people coming together and not, you know, living their separate lives. Yeah. Absolutely. But I think that has a a big thing is that, um, yeah, mothers are alone. We live, we're, we're lucky that we have our own homes, but it means we're, we're locked away in our own homes and we don't see our neighbors and we don't, um, yeah, we don't see how life is lived, you know, the good and the bad. Yeah. Yeah. It's a huge piece and it, it means that it also gets really tricky when you do want to develop more community. It often involves like driving maybe far (laughs) and sort of, you know, this whole ordeal kind of happening. It's not sort of just your neighbor or a part of home life Mm -hmm. together necessarily. So it becomes a real endeavor to cultivate in the, the world as it is now. But such an important thing and something that is at least a a dream of mine to continue to cultivate more because community is so so important yeah and I think also different types of community because sometimes there you know there's the community of mothers that work out together which is amazing but I think all of us mothers have different interests as well and it's a matter of finding the community of mothers with similar interests because I think a yeah. lot of people get put into a mother's group by, you know, the 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 and we have nothing in common with them. And then we retreat from that. And then we all of a sudden don't have other mothers. And that was a huge healing thing for me was to see that other mothers were having difficult days. And then that there were other mothers that were having amazing days and how we could support each other. But I think it's a matter of, um, yeah, finding that community that you feel you belong in. And that you feel you can wholeheartedly share and cry. And if if I don't feel like I can cry in that group of women, then that's not the right group of women for me at that moment. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Did you feel like you found that community and, and how, like, what was the journey you went on to cultivate that? Yeah, I was really lucky with my mother's group. Um, some of the women in there, we really connected. And um, so I got, I got really lucky because I've heard that that's, that's not the case for everyone. Um, but outside of that, um, I just searched out. I thought, okay, I'm interested in yoga. I'm going to go to postnatal yoga classes. That's There's got to be women there. Um, I also found, a, a you know, if we can use Instagram, a really lovely community of um women on instagram and mothers there um especially during covid when we couldn't see each other uh we could do online you know zoom chats and have a baby home with us and it was fine um so it was a lot of really figuring out all right what are the things that i'm interested in and then going and doing those things and finding the women through that 
beautiful. Yeah. A quick break to ask you this. Did you know that I've formulated two supercharged organic Yoni Steam Herbal Blends? I wanted to quickly highlight one of the blends, the Gentle Soother Blend today, because it's perfect for postpartum steaming. And you got a Yoni Steam when you're healing after birth. I mean, actually, you got a Yoni Steam (laughs) at all times. It's such a beautiful practice. I've got a really in-depth free guide on my website if you're new to this practice. And my Yoni Steam blends are always made with organic, highest quality herbs sourced in Europe, shipped in fully eco-friendly packaging. I've put countless hours in to formulate the blends with herbs that work synergistically together to really deeply nourish your feminine center and of course you can enjoy them as a herbal tea as well so if you're curious to find out more head over to my website and get yourself some yoni steam herbal blends at indigomoonanamark.com forward slash shop In your work of supporting women to prepare for that big postpartum period that we never quite know how it will exactly unfold, what do you see as the most important ways different types of mothers and different types of lives, how to prepare for postpartum? Mm. This is one I'm still, I'm still trying to wrap my head around because I feel like you don't know until you know, you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, it wasn't until I entered motherhood that I texted all my girlfriends that I'd given birth already. And I said, I am so sorry. I didn't show up how I should have showed up. Um, and I think if I was to say how you can prepare for the postpartum is to start during your pregnancy to ask for help, like get really, really comfortable with that. And get really, really comfortable with um, being bored (laughs) Um, because uh, and with the mundane and um, because not everything about motherhood is is perfect. And some days are a little bit more slow than maybe what we're used to. Um, And to really really build on your own, your mother voice, like your intuition, because that really begin cultivating that because that is what gets tested from the second your child is born is, is your intuition. And so getting really familiar with what does she sound like and make sure it's your voice rather than um, your mother's voice, or your mother-in-law's voice that's kind of said something to you, but really getting familiar with what does your intuition sound like? Yeah, I would say those are the best, the, some of my biggest, biggest ways to um, prepare for the postpartum. Mm, I love that. Mm-hmm. Those are absolute cornerstones, <laughs> <laughs> I would say too. And I would add to that, that If you're in the situation where you're not pregnant, but you know you might be one day, 
then this time of working with your menstrual cycle, working with your feminine center and understanding your cyclic body is absolutely the biggest gift you can get in beginning to understand what's coming. Because even though you can't predict exactly how your birth will unfold and your postpartum will, will unfold, you can learn to understand cyclic wisdom you can learn to understand what it means to support different flavors of cyclic energy as they move through you and learning to work with those for years before you actually arrive in them it really does help doesn't mean it's without challenges but it makes a difference and something that I really believe is that we're not meant to arrive empty-handed in reality we were meant to work with our menstrual cycle and be very initiated by that before we even embark into pregnancy and motherhood. And through that, having gleaned so many insights that really do come to support us and having made sort of practices that truly support the the female body and the digesting of life experiences a lot easier. Well, I think if what we bring to the altar of postpartum is what we bring from birth, I think what we bring to the altar of birth is what we come with from our menstrual cycle. Yeah. You know, I think it's um, knowing that everything is cyclical. It comes, it comes back in different ways and that everything is a phase and everything um, moves through. You're, you're not, I think that one of the things I, I would get stuck on in postpartum was if I was having a bad day, I would get, oh my goodness, I'm going to have a bad day for the rest of my life. And I had to remind myself this, I will move through this. And I think that is what we get from, um, really tending to our menstrual cycle before birthing, really, really getting intimate. And I think that getting to know our menstrual cycle is a huge step to under to knowing that voice of our intuition because she lives there in the womb like that I mean the the voice of the womb is the voice of the mother yeah yeah absolutely Mm -hmm. and I really feel that we're cyclic all the time our menstrual cycle is one flavor of that and right now I'm in a part of my postpartum not bleeding and I still feel very cyclic and I still feel I'm utilizing the same work I've done for years through working with my menstrual cycle Mm -hmm. because exactly as you're speaking to that energy of showing up to understand what's different on a certain day what needs to be tended to what's present that way of approaching yourself and really sort of tasting what's there and what it means to show up and support all these different phases of yourself, that is very much the same work of postpartum because that's also many different flavors, many different phases and cycles within that extended postpartum period. Because of course, as I'm speaking now, I'm not talking postpartum only the first six weeks. Mm, I'm talking a much broader um, postpartum experience. And I guess with that, I'd be really curious to hear 
how you would describe your current season of postpartum if you still use that word or your cyclic life like Mm -hmm. where are you sitting now what does that feel like and how what do you call it (laughs) yeah (laughs) um I I I believe that I have passed the fourth trimester but I'm postpartum for the rest of my life (laughs) um but I am I'm in this like you know I, I I love looking at I'm you know we're starting it's, you know, it's a rainy kind of coldish day today, but I'm in like the ovulation of my cycle. I started my menstrual cycle at six months postpartum, even though I'm full-time breastfeeding still, but in like my life, the phase and the cycle I'm in right now, I've been using the word of, I feel like I'm returning, but I'm not returning to who I was because that she no longer exists. And I think maybe the phase I'm in right now is of this like reintegration And I'm reintegrating the parts of myself that I still want to come along, but I'm reintegrating also these new parts of myself. And so it's this space of who I once was and who I am becoming. Um, So I'm in this, I'm still, if you're familiar with the myth of Inanna. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm still in the underworld, but I'm, I'm reemerging. Yeah. Beautiful. Mm. And tell us more about the ways that you work with women and how you support them through this season of life. Yeah. So I work right now with um, women who would like to prepare for their postpartum. And that can either be a kind of a one-off session where we uh, come up with a postpartum plan on, you know, creating boundaries with family and friends and um, how we want to nourish ourselves and what uh, practices we want to um we want to implement but I'm also come I have this um uh these sessions where we plan for the postpartum but then after birth I'm still working with you and we're going through whether that needs to be birth story listening or also listening to the postpartum experience that you're having um and I'm about to have mother like mother circles online, mother gatherings online, and just really ways in which I can have more women telling their stories so that other women don't feel alone. Really getting those out there um, and really letting women hear each other and support each other as well. Yeah, I think there's, there's, I just want to really have my work be revolved around support and how that looks and feels because I felt in the early postpartum just how much shaming there was in the, the, the mom community. And so really moving away from that and looking at we're all in, we're all in this together. Shaming in terms of comparison or what did you find? Um, comparison and um, how I chose to... Uh, do things with sleep. Um, you know, uh, there's some people in my immediate network who are shocked that I, I mean, even my, uh, at the doctor's visit, they were shocked that I still breastfeed my daughter. Um, wow, really? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Um, it, she, I don't engage enough with the world outside my bubble to good, know these things. <laughs> so it's interesting to hear. Yeah. Although not interesting in like the positive sense, because mm. we really don't need that input no, as don't. new mothers. We don't. 
Yeah. It's funny because I have one foot in the world of yoga and, um, you know, that community. And I have one foot in uh, the world that is unaware of other ways of parenting and raising and mothering. And so I unfortunately hear from both sides, you know, if, you know, especially, yeah. And so it's been, that's really been a big thing for me is like, all right, what's my voice and where, where do I land you know, yeah. in between these two conversations? Um, and what is that unique child in front of you asking for? Because, mm. you know, that's, that's the biggest thing, right? We don't need a mothering style. We need to just mother the child in front of us. Yeah. Yeah. How do I, yeah, exactly. Like, that was really a big thing was seeing like, okay, you know, they, they can't tell us anything yet, but you can feel it and you can know it if you really listen and it's open and it's opening that, that different sense, that different hearing is so vital and seeing it's, it doesn't matter. You know, all the notions I had of how I would parent became, I, before I became a mother were thrown out the window the minute she was in my arms because wow. she is, I mean, I have been humbled. I, I've always heard, I always heard the term of being brought down to your knees and being humbled. And I never found that in my spiritual practice or my yoga practice, but becoming a mother, that is when I was brought down to my knees and I was humbled every single day because everything that I had expected motherhood would look like or feel like or taste like, or, you know, all of that was thrown out the window and every, the way I parent her is not from what I've read in a book or seen. It's literally from how she's guided and, and really told us what she needs. Mm, um, that's beautiful. Yeah. And so that, that is the biggest lesson is, you know, if I have, you know, for postpartum and women going in postpartum is don't go in with these ideas and, um, until you know your, until you you're, you meet your child, you know, and you can develop that conversation in utero with them, but really, it's when they come out they start to, yeah, that that voice becomes louder, and they tell you their needs and show you their needs. Yeah, I absolutely love that. Mm. I do also feel that sometimes that I feel like previously in my life, other mothers would be very if they asked me a question about some things and then be like, well, just wait. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and for me, it hasn't been that experience of it being very different. It's been very much the way I, I thought it would be. And I've wanted to do the same things that I've always wanted. Mm. And I feel like sometimes that we just have to let each person have their experience. That's what it comes down to. And to know that we never know what it is for that person. I feel like sometimes there's so much that just because we've traversed motherhood in one way doesn't mean it's like that for the other person, you know? It's just an interesting and beautiful thing to really discover that there are so many things that are similar for all of us mm. and there are so many things that are different. Mm -hmm. And our community and our stories really become stronger if we can hold space for all of them and be mothers together. But they just wait. You won't do that when you're actually a mother. I haven't <laughs> found true at all. And I found it really interesting that there is this energy and I still hear it now. Oh, well, just wait until your child is older. Yeah. And it's always like, I'm not waiting. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm here now. 
I'm not waiting. I'm not waiting for something to not work. Yeah. I'm showing up to the present moment. Yeah, exactly. The best I can, right? Like, yeah. 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 One thing that's really shown up for me is that I'm not, I'm not even looking, you know, there's this, all these, this talk about their next leap and this, you know, everyone's saying, oh, you're going into toddler years. And I'm kind of like, I'll get there when, when she get, you know, when we get there, but right now I'm just in, okay, what is she learning today? What is she experiencing today? And so it's been, um, I think I've wanted that my whole time since I started doing yoga and joint and, and started my spiritual practices, like really experiencing the now and the present moment. Yeah. And it's yeah. my daughter that's showing me that every single day. And so I don't even, you know, you know, when I first had to start introducing food to her, I literally looked up at the at, at her six month kind of birthday. Okay, this is the phase we're in, and I didn't. And so I really tried to do that is is try to learn and fail with her in the moment, rather than having all these expectations and doing all the research beforehand. But really, just kind of stumbling in it to with her, and and realizing and learning at at that time. Yeah, I feel that too, and. Also because you can really get some stories in your head and it's really about, I want to hear each woman's experience, but I don't want to hear any predictions that it necessarily is how it is for everyone. Yeah. And I know for me, I when my son started teething, I immediately realized how many stories I had in my head from mothers that I knew that had told me how horrible it would be Mm -hmm. and that I was actually like, oh my God, it's going to be horrible. Mm -hmm. Like hell is coming Mm -hmm. (laughs) into my home. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't Yeah, like it wasn't. Yeah. Yeah. And it was just such a waste of energy of being really scared of it because I had been warned so much. Yeah. And it would have been very, very different just sitting down and listening and holding space for a challenge in their life, because we can all understand them. We all have challenges. I have had my own challenges to face. But when we use those experiences to be like, oh, just wait and see, or, you know, this is how it's going to be, then we also lose touch with each other. Yeah. Yeah, we do. There's a disconnect. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a bigger element here, I guess, I'm reflecting on now about how do we actually gather? How do we talk? How do we share our stories? And how do we really meet each other across the differences there may be? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think the biggest thing with sharing stories is um, actually listening. Yes. I think a lot of women begin to share a story and then the woman that they're with starts to think, Oh, I have, I have something to add to that. And so we're already formulating our answer before we've actually listened to the, the story. And so it's this, this idea of actually listening. Um, I do this a lot in my trainings and retreats where I have women, two women face each other. And the one woman will tell whatever's on her heart or mind. And the other woman is not allowed to say a word at all. And she just has to witness the woman and she cannot come up with any feedback. And after she's done, she does not say anything again. And then they switch. And after that, they don't go and give it, they don't, there's no advice given. There's no feedback or anything. And it's just, and, and they have, these women have the biggest ahas from that because they think, wow, that was the first time I actually felt her listening to me. Like you can feel the difference between someone that's listening to you and that someone that's 
formulating their own answer or feedback. Yeah, absolutely. And that feels actually like, of course, something we can all take with us into every conversation, every meeting with every person at every stage. But it also feels like something really tangible that we can all try and offer new mothers, just listening. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it's new mothers that we we really want to be heard. I think that's one of the things I've also heard other mothers say is, I tried to tell my birth story to so many different people, but no one would listen to me. And so if you have a friend that's just given birth, ask her how the birth was and don't come with your experiences from other friends having given birth, but actually listen, but really witness her. I mean, she has gone through a rite of passage. And so witness this mother and her story because she just needs to tell someone. And sometimes women aren't given that chance. And if you can be that friend um, that actually is the one that listens, it's the most healing experience for her and for both of you. Yeah. Yeah, it's a privilege to get to witness. Mm, It's a privilege to hear birth stories. Oh, my gosh. It is such a privilege to... um, to listen to these stories and to witness the, the women tell them. It's so huge. How can women find you? Yeah, I my website, uh, KelseyLudvigsen.com and the same Kelsey Ludvigsen on Instagram. Um, but really mostly Instagram and my website. Beautiful. I'll have the links in the show notes so it'll be easy to find. And thank you so much for coming on today, Kelsey, and thank you for sharing some of the really important insights you've gathered along your your journey of motherhood so far. And thank you for also giving yourself space to put your own words to this huge cyclic transition that motherhood is, because that's a beautiful offering. Mm, Thank you for letting me share. Thank Thank you. you. And thank you to you for listening. I'll be back soon with another episode. Thank you for joining us in this episode of CycleWise. If you'd like to share a comment or a question related to this episode, please visit the episode link in the show notes where you can submit your feedback or question, as well as read comments from other women listening with you. We're so much stronger together. I'm Indigo Moon Anamark. Until next time, I'm sending you love from my inner woman to yours.